today's tale is called Killing Me Softly. It's set in my native Ireland. Now we can all have family troubles from time to time, but what happens when they become homicidal? Killing me softly. Eloise was feisty and stubborn, I'll give her that. We lasted ten years, and though we left a trail of destruction in our wake, we also had a laugh, some of the time. Personally, I don't think relationships, or marriages, which are just briefly gilded relationships, are meant to last particularly long. A few years of happiness, then it's over. And what's so bad about that? It fits better with life. The temporary and finite yield far more joy than the permanent and eternal. Of course, we raise our glasses to the diamond wedding, but we all know that in truth it's a vision of hell. One of the reasons that my conscience, in so far as I have one, is relatively clear, given my line of work, is that endings bestow value. That is, they highlight the meaning contained in brevity. We can only live because we die, and we can only have purpose because we have limited time. I was learning my trade when I met Eloise, and that period of apprenticeship was the most dangerous few years for anyone in my line of business. It's not too different from being a brain surgeon. Who would ever want to know that they were subject to the first unsupervised operation of a young surgeon? It's a case where competence, which cannot exist without confidence, simply has to hit the ground running. Observe as much as you can, definitely, and ask all the questions you need. Familiarise yourself with the changing technology of your craft. Assist quietly and skilfully when called upon to do so. All of this will help. But that heart-stopping moment when you go it alone, well, the vocation confirms you or it rejects you there and then. Eloise had no qualms about what I did. Not that I gave much away. Pillow talk costs contracts, so we acknowledged each other's professionalism, but we never gossiped about it. Perhaps that contributed to the passion slowly congealing into loathing, but we wouldn't have changed anything. Eloise had a gift for figures, for accounting, investing, moving money around. Her nickname was the Laundry Woman of Letterkenny, and it was apt. Whatever went in filthy came out spotless. We have a daughter. Her name is Emer. Just like her mother, the spitting image, but also the character. Hard as nails, honey-tongued, ruthless, but sentimental. Weeps over a lost kitten, would starve an orphanage to make a small profit. We were devoted in the early days. Proud parents, along to all the school shows, meeting with teachers, doing our charity bit, being polite to everyone, totally normal. But no matter how hard you try to keep a part of you hidden from your children, they can sense it, they can smell it, without being able to put it into words. And secrets make you grow cold, and it shows, eventually. That, I would say, was the strain that drove Eloise and me apart. Because we both had to move around the country a fair bit, take the odd few months away in Spain or the Ukraine or wherever. We never went back to the same place in Ireland. Once she hooked up with me, Letterkenny quickly became impossible. Whenever people start to wonder about what you do for a living, it's time to hit the road. In truth, Eloise should have left County Donegal years beforehand. She was too comfortable, and though the long arm of the law is weak and the police force of the Republic no less thick than in any other country, you have to watch your back. Complacency kills. And she could understand this, but she reacted against it, blamed me, said I was paranoid, 
started throwing things, started shouting at me in pubs and restaurants. Not what you need at all. And because I loved her, I put up with all kinds of domestic abuse. Broken nose, bruised testicles, cracked ribs. If I'd had friends, they'd have told me to leave her long before I did. But you can't have friends when you do what I do. I left because of Emer. I just couldn't have her witness any more rowing. It was for the best. We reached an agreement. No arguments over money or being able to stay in touch. It was, bizarrely enough, an amicable arrangement. I still saw Emer. Then it was less and less often. Then it was never. We drifted apart. Then we froze each other out. Until, that is, I got the call. Nobody wants to be a contract killer when they're at school. It's not offered in careers guidance, and you can't do a degree at university, which is a pity in many ways, as there is both art and science in the process. It's not, generally speaking, a profession that runs in the family. You are unlikely, that is, to be inducted into the finer ways of commercial assassination by your father out in the garden after class. So how do you start? Well, it's not that unlike football, really. There are scouts, and if you complete a successful trial, you're taken on. Oh, if only. It's a bloodied and brutal scrabbling through barbed wire and across broken glass. Only when you suspect you're the last one standing do you dare to consider the future. By then it's too late to turn back. You're known. You have sufficient respect and revulsion. And they come to you. That's the spooky thing. They know already. And you're set. What you have to be from then on is savagely decisive and almost invisible. It suited me perfectly. Enough humanity to engage and agree. Enough detachment to follow through. I prefer knives. The movies suggest guns, but guns are clumsy. Stand behind the target and simply force the blade in from back to front. Then slice up and across the carotids and jugulars. Either way, left or right, as we have both types of arteries and veins on both sides of the neck. More than one of each, in fact. Internals and externals, to be precise. But alas, there are times when a firearm is necessary. If there is a collective target, say, or if only a remote approach is possible. In every case, disposability must be balanced against efficiency. Whatever it says in novels, cop shows or box sets, car bombs, poison and arson are hopelessly inaccurate and never deployed. There's a lot of travel involved. You get to know every inch of the country, and once your heart rate settles down, you can actually enjoy the journeys to and from the target location. There was a particularly clean hit, I recall, down in Doolin, which enabled me to enjoy the cliffs of Mohor afterwards. There I helped a young woman who had slipped rather too close to the edge. It is my belief that when I'm not working, I'm hypersensitive to the encroachment of mortality on the lives of the careless. And a lot of time is spent simply lying low, and that's more safely done abroad. Inactivity is the default state. Whatever you imagine, the demand for services is limited. What a very unpleasant world it would be otherwise. Sometimes you feel that you've done the world a favour. There was a target in Nace that I eradicated, a child pornographer. He put up a fight and claimed that he was no different morally from anyone else, and that we were all caught up in the total ethical compromise of neoliberal capitalism, having long since commodified all human life completely. As blood sprayed across the carpet, I thought it was well-articulated hypocrisy, though hypocrisy all the same. But sometimes you suspect that your customer is misguided, or possibly even evil. There was a collective target down in Carrick-on-Shannon, 
two adults and a child of seven. I couldn't avoid the look of desperation, anguish and love in the eyes of the mother as I shot her in the face. Oddly, the child was easier, looked away, remained silent. That woman's gaze haunted me for years. But there it is. You assemble perdition by slow degrees. I've built a small cell structure around me. That is, there are three people who know me, but who do not know each other. They are very trustworthy. For my own amusement, I have named them Vlad, Leon and Joseph. All inquiries and requests pass through them. They are trustworthy because each one of them is a replacement for a less trustworthy agent. I do feel confident that the present triangulation has a good many years of utility left. One of the current three is known to Eloise. That is how she made contact with her decidedly unusual proposition. I hadn't had any dealings with my ex-wife for a long time, so I was very surprised when Leon got in touch. Normally I don't meet the customer. Everything is relayed through the agent. But curiosity got the better of me. I had to ask a few questions. Eloise had moved to Leinster by this time. I'm not sure if she was now known as the Cleanser of Kilkenny, but I liked the thought. She had a lovely house near St Canis's Cathedral, overlooking the graveyard. I paid her a visit. You haven't aged. You've put on weight. Only on my soul. I thought you didn't do FaceTime with the customer. Exceptional circumstances. Not as far as I'm concerned. But, Emer, you can't be serious. Oh, I'm serious. What's she done? Stolen from me, repeatedly. Warnings, final warning, consequences. You want me to whack my own daughter. She needs to be out the way. But permanently, permanently. Could we not find some alternative? You said you never questioned the customer's decision. Why me? You're the best. Eloise was not to be persuaded. Once she'd made up her mind about something, that was it. Set in stone, stubborn. I thought for a moment that this was a test. I was Abraham and Emer was Isaac. Eloise, the angel of the Lord, would stop my hand at the last. But would she? And wasn't Abraham, frankly, a miserable, sycophantic shit? No, this was business. Cold, calculated, transactional determination. Of course, I could have probed more. I could have delved into the reasons for the reasons. Why had their relationship deteriorated to the point where animosity had become filicidal? But then, what was my part in the saga? I hadn't seen either of them in years. My neglect, no doubt, also had its role to play. Well, we're an ugly species, and that's no lie. I drove away from Kilkenny with an overwhelming feeling of dejection. I didn't want this. I hadn't wanted any of it. It had broken over me like a wave. I was soaked to the bone. Yet in the beginning, I was just standing there. It was random. Honestly. But you can't get out. You can't. You make your plans, you dream your dreams, but there's no escape. And reputation is all. Once the word got around that I'd turned a customer down, I'd be finished. I headed to Bray in County Wicklow, for that was where Emer resided. I've always liked Wicklow. I had plenty of time, so I meandered through the mountains. I went for a stroll in Glenmalure. I drove up to the Sally Gap, and I gazed wistfully at Lugala and Loch Tay. I stopped for a bite in Roundwood, then drove past the Vartry Reservoir and on into Ashford, Rathnew and Wicklow Town. I understood fully that this was all avoidance on my part and that the beauty of those hills, lakes and villages could not distract me indefinitely from the real purpose. 
so reluctantly I hit the main road and up the coast to Bray, once a holiday destination for Dubliners, now a commuter town for the waxing and waning of the Irish economy that centred itself so completely on the capital city. Emer owned a hotel on the seafront, ill-gotten gains no doubt, but a thriving business nonetheless. I parked and sat looking at the entrance. The hotel was very modern, very luxurious. The dilapidated guest houses I had known in my youth had vanished. My daughter was a denizen of the new world, wealthy, determined, harsh. In Darwinian Ireland, she was one of the fittest. I had been sitting there for three hours when she made her appearance. She smoked a cigarette on the top step of the hotel and marched off in the direction of the town. I got out of the car and followed her. Tall, beautiful, and, I realised, now totally unknown to me. I kept her in my line of vision as she moved through the maze of the back streets to her own house. I knew she lived alone. It is probably foolish to think that there is continuity in human development, that the adult is essentially the same person as the child. We transform, we morph, we mutate, all our cells renew. We are protean and unstable, except, of course, that we have memories. Unreliable indeed, but vivid. And here she is, the reminder of a time more tender, reminder of a life less cruel. A little girl runs to me and I scoop her up in my arms and we are both laughing and we are both happy. The future is uncertain, the dice uncast. And I ache for that time. Its soft voice sings to me. Its sweet light falls on all my regret. The woman in the house is my daughter, my child. The woman in the house. I get out of the car and look around. There is no one. No witness, no spy. I pat my jacket, feeling for the reassurance of my old friend, the hunting knife, the tool of my trade. I walk slowly towards the house. I breathe deeply, and a sense of dreamlike unreality flows through me. There will be a decision, a choice of instincts. The father or the killer. One of them will triumph. But which? As I walk, the few final steps to her door... The answer becomes clear. It is my nature. I can do no other. I nod at my daughter as she answers my knock. She seems unfazed, which I respect. Probably more than just cool. Hello, Dad. Emer. To what do we owe the pleasure? She's been expecting me, hasn't she? The thought is formed in my brain at exactly the same time as the crack on my head puts out the lights. Down I go into the dark well of the blackout. No dreaming there, just the slowly growing throb of pain as I struggle back to the surface and find myself tied to a chair. Eloise is sipping a gin and tonic, and Emer is looking out of the window. Well, isn't this grand? You'll be wanting the explanation, then. It might help. You're getting old, aren't we all? Old and careless, perhaps, but I'll retire to Lanzarote and keep out of harm's way. Too late for that. Emer turns from the window. There's a fortune to be made still, in your profession. And don't get me wrong, you're well respected. At least you were. But it's all been a bit old school. A bit male. You're not seriously thinking of setting up in competition, are you? No, because there's really only room for one apex predator. It's a small island. I'm your father. I'm your daughter. And business is business. Eloise drains her glass. She looks at me and says... She has to prove that she has what it takes. Oh yes, and what does it take? Just a little family revolution. 
I hear Emer's voice from behind me. The king is dead. Long live the queen. And then the knife, exactly as I would have done it myself, right through the spinal cord from the back of the neck to the front. And as I sink towards the great beyond, the beckoning void or eternal damnation, I can't help but commit the sin of pride. That's my girl. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please share.